0: Yo, what's the deal baby? This your boy Uncle Luke, formerly of the Two Live Crew. You are listening to Pass It Down with Mike Silver and Natalie Silver. Natalie is the most beautiful young lady in this deal right here. Mike doesn't look so good even though they're dad and daughter. It's the big show, baby.
1: Hey everybody. So, we have a very special episode today. On Tuesday, December 8th, it of course was the 40th anniversary of the assassination of John Lennon. And that same day, I got to watch my dad, Mike Silver, interview the owner of the Indianapolis Colts, Jim Ursay. And I got to watch their Zoom, and they talked all things Lennon, music, football, history. And Mr. Ursay is someone who was really, really touched by the event 40 years ago and by John Lennon's music, and it was really cool to just hear them talk. So we're going to play you guys a couple of clips and talk you through it and bring you guys there with us.
0: Yeah. And, um, you know, as he did the interview on the Zoom, behind him was uh, John Lennon's piano. Uh, oh,
1: and uh, his glasses. <laughs> yeah.
0: And it was the piano where, you know, that on which a day in the life and Lucy in the sky with diamonds being for the benefit of Mr. Kite and Good Morning Uh, were composed
1: yeah so so that was really awesome and again Jim is someone who was very 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 touched by this music and it you know this uh anniversary meant a lot to him so
0: yeah and before um before we got going formally I
1: uh oh yeah I was brought in while I was (laughs) eating toast unexpectedly so I
0: brought Natalie on the zoom to say hi um and we got into uh immediately got into rock and roll so uh yeah, let's run the first uh clip and then we'll we'll come back and uh we'll get to Lennon.
2: There he is! What's happening, young man? You, you dressed up for me and I went fender shirt. Well that's cool. I mean, you know, we gotta we gotta mix it up, right? Hey Jim, say hi to my daughter Natalie, who's in the room with me. Hi Hey Natalie, nice what's meet you. going on? Let's you got a out. great energetic dad there. <laughs> <laughs> good she
0: was raised very very well she was raised with very good musical taste
2: i bet i know she was just like my daughters were too so no uh, doubt they their are fav- so well two of the three's favorite bands, fleetwood mac they love fleetwood mac
1: <laughs> casey
2: and so so we had a chance to see them and and they're playing landslide and just you know, just next to my youngest daughter was just like so touching, man. Just like the music coming out and everything else, and and I love your piece, you know. I told you with with Daltrey and Townsend, you know. <laughs> I I can't believe Pete told me to fuck off four times in a row. It was like the highlight <laughs> of my life. <laughs> that just means he likes you.
0: <laughs> I mean. I got him back, and Roger liked me, so Roger was kind of give me a look like, "Don't worry about him; he's fine,"
2: you know. I know Pete is so, oh like, uh, God, you know he's so um, temperamental. It's like I, we were doing a music care in New York City uh, to raise money, and uh, I went backstage. Uh, well, Pete came on; he was all pissed off. that you know the synthesizer wouldn't work for Eminence Sprunt, so he just said, "The hell with it; I'm not doing it." And then, you know, and then I go back, as soon as he's done, I I saw his brother Simon, I'm like, Simon, where's Pete? He's going, oh, he left, Jim, he's all pissed off, you know. Uh, And and I go, oh, God, I'm not going to even bother him then, because, you know, he's such a, you know, he's just, he's such a temperate artist, but what a great guy, brilliant guy. Just, you know, the most, I mean, that's my favorite band, because just the most intense dude ever to pick up a
1: guitar so that's really cool that the owner of the colts was able to see your interview with roger and pete yeah of the who yeah and uh it's funny that happened what maybe a little bit over a year ago i remember we were at lunch outside before before you had to be eating outside but we're outside yeah you were in a bad mood um yeah work
0: related work related work wasn't going you were great. pissed off yeah. at
1: the people in charge and um, not really the people,
0: just this, I was just, okay. just, I don't remember. I don't just know. Things weren't going the way I wanted.
1: And I remember your phone rang and you saw it was from work and you made a very uh cinematic point of rejecting the call.
0: Yeah. Which like I never knew it's my boss, John Marvel, who I love. So like, I, yeah. I was in such a shitty mood that I was like, I'll just call him
1: back. Yeah. And I think he called, or maybe he texted you and you saw the preview and you like, again, were very theatrical about putting the phone down and being like, <laughs> fuck them (laughs) and then the phone rings again and you answer it and you're like hello (laughs) then all of a sudden you're just like no fucking way and I see your jaw (laughs) drop and I'm like okay what's going on and dad what did he say
0: Um, I think he was basically said could you come down here on October whatever and interview Roger Daltrey and Pete Townsend on camera for NFL Network at the Sunset Marquee, and I was just like, "Excuse me!" (laughs) Like,
1: yeah, that was an insane moment. I was experiencing secondhand fear and glory and excitement.
0: Yeah, it was incredible. It was, I you know, I didn't really understand how we were connecting with NFL Network. I I came to understand it later, and you know, it was. It was an incredible experience. I, um, you know, I mean, you know, maybe Mick Jagger would intimidate me more or Mick and Keith or McCartney. um, I mean, I, you know, but it's right up there in the very most intimidated. Yeah, I I know. And, uh, you know, I knew all the words to Tommy famously in my family when I was like, you know, four or five, whatever it came out. And, um, you know, I've, you know, I've, seen the who i've blasted who records forever and you know that was
1: one of the first won't get pulled again is one of the first songs you ever played me i remember (laughs) being a little kid yeah
0: yeah when we were trying to wean you off the kids music early on i was
1: so but let's get into it how did the interview go
0: i mean it was incredible first of all um you know we went like over an hour and I, you know i I think one of their managers told one of our people outside because the only people in the room were Pete Roger and I and a, and a shooter because they everyone was like in the room right outside. It was this little mini recording studio at the bottom of the Sunset Marquee. But, oh,
1: by the way, by the way, after the interview. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> OK. I'll get to that. Uh, um, yeah, I, I, th- that's true. Because like, yeah, that was a they were not the only rock stars I saw that day. But um, I. I. You know, they told somebody like they never talked that long and they were there to, to the end of their tour and promoting their new album. And uh, it was an incredible conversation. The long version still lives somewhere in a link. We ran a few uh, a sh- shorter version on Good Morning Football and, and NFL Network. And, um, you know, I would say the highlight for me is when Pete Townsend, one of the greatest composers of all time, I. Uh, told me to fuck off four times consecutively, <laughs> saying, no, seriously, Yeah, fuck so off. it
1: was not a joke. It was not, oh, fuck yeah, off. Yeah, K- it was... Oh, <laughs> yeah. no,
0: no, no, he was mad, and uh, it was a surreal moment, because I didn't totally disagree with him. I, would, I, I I, had been a little bit of a smartass. I just... I wasn't trying to be a smartass, but he just... He was talking about... They were talking about their the creation of their charities, and... They were talking about how they were having some money troubles in the '70s, which I think traced back to a, a manager that they felt ripped them off. And I said something like, "Oh, is, that's because you smashed all the instruments." It, it just, I've always, you know, that's an homage to the early days. Yeah. When I mean, that's like, but
1: that's also that's so punk bold before
0: punk, and and he, it triggered him, and and he just told me to fuck off four times, and it was a surreal moment because, a, I. Got it. Like I understood, like that I had kind of been a little bit of a shit. B, I didn't really care. Pete Townsend was telling me to fuck That's off. It's awesome. Like, it's amazing. It's a rite of passage. C, it's on camera, so I'm just like, this is amazing. And then the best part is that Roger, who's sitting right next to him across from me, is giving me this expression the whole time, like smiling, like, don't worry about him. He just <laughs> he gets pissed off. So I knew that You know, that was comforting me. And I did get Pete back pretty quickly, and we were cool. That's amazing.
1: I think it would debilitate me. Like, I think. I wouldn't be able to come back from that, but you can see on the interview because I don't know what aired, but we saw the whole tape. I'll, and you I'll can... post
0: the long version somewhere on my yeah. social media uh, again. And, and I mean, you were being smartass. It, it is in the short version too, but you could really see Roger's face in the long it's version. Awesome. And then yeah, so it was an incredible, you know, experience for me. And John Marvel was there, and some other people I work with. And afterwards, John and I ended up having this pretty long conversation by the pool with Roger afterwards. And that was surreal. And then.
1: And then what else happened? by the then pool? we went
0: to the little tiny bar over the outside and uh, with with a couple of our people and we're talking and um, Ringo Starr and Joe Scarborough of MSNBC <laughs> walked by and.
1: As in Ringo Starr. The Beatles,
0: right, and and the Sunset Marquee, which is this storied hotel, has all these incredible photos on the wall. There's there was that one epic Beatles photo, famous photo of the Beatles um, as they're getting off the plane in Hard Day's Night, was right there by the bar, and I think John Marvel yelled, "Ringo." Your photos up here, and Ringo goes as it should be (laughs) in that Ringo voice that kept walking,
1: missing a beat. And
0: someone yelled, "Hey, Joe!" Like, "Oh, hi, Joe Scarbo." So I saw a beetle after interviewing Roger and Pete, and then, like. 20 minutes later, someone's like, Jimmy Page. That guy who just walked by, that's Jimmy Page. Wait, shut up. And we went running outside, because I didn't really get a look at I saw some hair, and I'm like, Jimmy Page.
1: I didn't know that part. And we went
0: running outside, and he kind of, like, we saw the end, you know, the way, way down the street towards sunset, Jimmy Page was walking with someone, and we're like, okay, so we just saw Roger and Pete, a Beatle, Ringo Starr, and Jimmy Page so that covers Zeppelin. So we've now covered the know, greatest three of the what? Five In the conversation of greatest band of all time, there's maybe five. You know, you got to put
1: the in, stones in,
0: obviously. And then we could argue about whether there's a fifth. But that's the other ones.
1: Yeah.
0: And uh, oh, yeah. So that's insane. It was an insane day. But the crazy thing is that Jim Ursay actually knows a bunch of these people. Um, he did. He did. Um, he never got to meet John Lennon. John Lennon died when he was a 21 year old college student at Southern Methodist University. Um, so that was the first thing we talked about um, yeah. on the Zoom. So uh, let's hear let's hear how that felt to Jim Irsay, um when he was 21 and and the legacy of you know and, and how what he feels um, you know changed that
2: day. It's a special day because it's 40 years ago that John Lennon was assassinated. And and, um, it's something that is deep in the psyche of the world and of of this country, of America. And um, I I think Don McLean, um, the great singer-songwriter, when he wrote American Pie, he wasn't speaking about musical history as much as musical prophecy. Um, And the prophecy was to be delivered for the most part, by Howard Cosell on, on that Monday night game. Um, I, I know I was in Dallas with an acoustic guitar in my hand and, and my wife was upstairs pregnant with our first child and um, Howard came on and, and delivered the news after debating how to do it. They couldn't find Rune Arledge uh, at ABC and, you know, Gifford was the one who really said you got to go with it and Howard did. And the, everything changed. The The world changed um, in an instant right there. It, it, it was just, it was, you know, the music really did die. The innocence died. The, there was just this feeling, you know, so much was coming through in the sixties and it was barely holding on in the seventies. And, and, you know, Springsteen was the hope of the future and he was kind of unleashed and, and, and we were kind of you know going along, and then that happened, and that was like that was the end. I mean, when I say the end, just of the innocence, I mean the, uh, you know, uh, you know as it's been said, three chords in the truth will change the world. you know and, and that's what John was about. He was one of the first guys ever to use a platform of his immense talent and his art to change the world. And that almost became more important to John uh than than anything else you know um so
0: i remember hearing howard Cosell deliver that news and just you know my heart falling down to my feet and i you know i i was 15 so i you know it was one of the heaviest things i'd ever experienced right and uh i you know people I don't know if people remember, you know, he had been away for five years, right? He had dropped out of public life to raise his son and he had his, his great comeback album, double fantasy had just dropped, I think in October. And so he was, he was back and, you know, uh, better than ever. And it was just such a sudden, sudden, you know,
2: loss. It really was. It was something where it was so crushing. It was just like a steel sword through the heart. And, you know, you had this overall feeling in the simplest way that the Beatles would never be again. I mean, it just never be again. I mean, they're not taking a break. They're not. But but of course, the Beatles stood for much more than that. It was a time and place um, of the 60s all the things, you know, that had happened, you know, with Bobby and JFK and Martin Luther King and, and, and then, you know, Ali and, and, and the sixties, I mean, the seventies that we had, um, that, that was really, um, a period where, uh, of uncertainty, but it was almost after the fact of, of the, the, the sixties, which was so, so changing. And, and when this hit in 1980, it, it, it it's hard to describe, maybe to to some younger people um you know that from our generation it 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 was really debilitating it, it 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 just brought so much sorrow i it just i I think that that first of all, you had a simple fact that you had a young father at forty you know who wouldn't be able to raise his three year old son sean you know and and you see Sean's innocence at that moment when they said well, where's the man now? Well, they took him to court and Sean says, you mean a basketball court? I mean, he's just three years old, you know? Um, and, and that's heartbreaking because you have the simple fact of him being a father trying to raise a son. And that's the essence really of his life. And then you have, you know, his public immense figure of, of who he was and, and um, you know, for, you know, just simply a guy who stood for peace, who, who stood for nonviolence Um uh, a, a guy who had great humor, you know, him and Yoko in a bag for peace, you know, just a, a big bag, just if you stay in here, no one can get hurt today. Um, but 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 he he was so, he, he was so instrumental a, a, as a world changer. I always look at Dylan and, and Lennon, at, you know, at the very, very top. And of course, the Lennon and McCartney aspect, I mean, that's as big as, you get in, in terms of incredible talent and, and what they brought to the planet with, with their talent. But then it, it became so much bigger than that.
1: Wow. So that for me was really powerful to hear because obviously I wasn't alive when you know John Lennon died. I do remember when George Harrison died. Dad, I remember you telling me that over the phone. I was a little kid. I don't know how old I was. I
0: was in Pittsburgh.
1: Yeah. I and I was crushed even at a young age. But I mean- Just hearing not only it's the it's the death of a musical icon, but it's so much more than that. It's an end of an era. Um, It is so symbolic culturally, socially. And um, yeah, just processing that still. Dad, what do you remember?
0: Wow. Well, I mean, I was 15, so I hadn't been through a lot of, you know, luckily I, I hadn't been through a lot of, you know, trauma in my life and uh you know i i just um you know i was home on a monday night monday night football was on in the den and i think i wandered out of the den while the game was on it was late in the game and back then monday night football was a big event one of the few games we'd actually get to watch on tv and the only primetime game and and uh my phone in my room ring, room rang, and I went running in, and it was my friend Corey Shapoff, and he just said, "Go turn on your TV right now!" And I hung up the phone and ran into the den, and Howard Cosell, the famed announcer, was telling the world in an era before you know the internet and twenty four hour news, and and. Social media was telling the world that John Lennon had been shot and killed outside his apartment on the Upper West Side. And I remember him saying the words dead on arrival. You know, he was transported to Roosevelt Memorial Hospital Dead on arrival. Because as he was telling it, he didn't say dead. He just
1: said. Right. I was going to ask. So he, it wasn't. He said
0: John Lennon was gunned down, you know, whatever he said. And you're, so you're still like clinging to this. And they said he was rushed to Roosevelt Hospital. And then I just remember him saying dead on arrival. And then I remember him saying like, it's hard to get back to football after that. And it was like the very, it was late in this game. And I just, you know, the whole world just kind of sunk. And, Jim's right. It was a lot. It was, oh my God, John Lennon is gone, you know, and what a horrible tragedy. His, he had a young kid. he just he just come out of a five-year kind of hibernation where he was home to raise Sean and and was it just released Double Fantasy and was back. And then you think of the human side, you know, he's got a, oh, he leaves behind a wife and kids, including a five-year-old. And then you think immediately like, oh God, the Beatles are, are really over because that was only 1980, you know, they broke up in 1970. So people, yeah, there was always talk. Could there be a reunion? And, you know, like, could it happen? Because, you know, a Beatles reunion would have been the biggest thing of all time. The only thing as big as a Beatles reunion would have been the Beatles. Right. You know? Like it's just, you know, and John famously said, we're bigger than Jesus. So I, I just, th- that, that was a real, there was a finality, like it's over, like it's, they will never be back. And then as Jim alluded to, it just, you know, this was a man who stood for so much more and it did seem to be like the, in retrospect, kind of the death knell on the, you know, that whole era of liberation and social change. And, you know, Reagan was, had been elected and, or Reagan was, yeah, Reagan had been elected and was about to be sworn in and, um
1: well I think that's something that my generation can pick up too. Just the symbolism of this guy stood for peace and nonviolence as his main thing and yeah. not only the irony of his death, but just there's just something so disenchanting about how that all went down. And I think I mean, obviously, um, you know, we heard Jim say, Oh, you're you're either a Lenin man or a McCartney man in high school, people would say that. But yeah. In my generation or my people, it's it's not like that because there's no one group or artist that is that big of a phenomenon. We also have so much more at our fingertips, right, with streaming services that you can just access music so easily and quickly. And playlists are a thing, so sequencing of songs on albums don't matter. And, you know, it's completely changed. But um,
0: but you personally, that was the first music that I played you other than the you know, the we sing kids crap that mom would keep playing you. (laughs) She loves that. (laughs) My favorite thing was uh, um, our friend Lila told her kids that, quote, your music doesn't work in the car except for long trips, which is, (laughs) you know, probably broke the trust eventually. But like, what a great way to avoid having to play that crap all the time. So, you know, my first experiment was to like try Beatles and yell submarine and Mm -hmm. the early stuff. And it worked and you guys loved it. And then we, you know, and progressively, and then pretty soon you were telling me that Led Zeppelin was too soft. And, uh, you know, the stones were too soft and I called you stupid.
1: (laughs) I went through a phase. Yeah.
0: But, uh, you know, I, I just, um, it, it was a crazy thing. Like, so, you know, Days on the radio stations were all Beatles, like literally yeah. no other song on the radio stations we've listened to. You know,
1: like now how if you hear you like flip around radio stations and you hear the same artist on one or more station, you're like, oh, my God, they're dead.
0: Yeah, right. And, and so it was literally like I remember with this one, they did this one kind of lead up. Tribute thing, and then it ended with the day in the life with just that, you know, duh. and it was the most. And that goes on for a long yeah. time. And I just remember the eeriness, and that was like a couple of days later. And then impromptu memorial, you know, people gathering. Yeah, I've seen footage. Yeah, Central Park, and um, and, and I remember kids at my school wearing all black for days. Yeah. You know, it was it was a it was a bad bad thing, and um, just. You Know the person who killed him was crazy, mm-hmm. but also, it, you know, it spoke to the weird celebrity obsession thing, too. He, yeah. this guy, thought he was John Lennon and that's how he was gonna kill the demons in his head or whatever. And, um, so there was that, too. Um, I, I, I you know, it's just we had the Lennon-McCartney delineation, our generation, of course. And I was a John guy and not that I'm not obsessively right. you know, devoted to what Paul and George, you know, have written and the whole band and the whole thing. Um, you know, I would argue that some of John's post Beatles stuff is, you know, is among the most poignant music I've ever heard, you know, working class hero, mm-hmm. give me some truth and, um, you know, so many others. And, and, um, you know, it's weird. I mean, there's so many levels uh, which I could talk about Lenin, but to me, much of it always comes back to songwriting with, with all music. And um, we were in this conversation with a bunch of friends um, maybe a year ago and somebody said, who's the greatest songwriter of all time, which is always a great conversation. And there's no, you know, there's Garcia Hunter and Springsteen and Dylan, obviously, and Joni Mitchell and so many, Neil Young, just so many other people you would bring up. And Weir Barlow, by the way, you know, the dead have multiple entries. And, (laughs) um, And one person just without thinking about it at all spoke and it was your mom who just said John Lennon. And I kind of then had to do the bounce around in my head for about five minutes. And then I was like, yes, it is John Lennon. And I don't remember where everyone else ended up, but, um, Leslie silver, it was not a hard discussion yeah. for her. So, um, I, you know, I, I wanted to know when I was talking to Jim, what he felt about that question. Cause he, he's, so into music and you know he's met a lot of these people and and hung out But he and he owns incredible amounts of memorabilia which we'll talk about at some point and he you know he loves the bands that I love Floyd you know and, and The Who which you heard him talk about and, yeah. and so many others but um, I asked Jim and uh, here's what he had to say. When you think of the greatest songwriters you know where do you put
2: Lennon in that pantheon. You know, I, I put John at the top. I really do. Um, I get in a debate about, about Dylan and John. um, And um, I, I, you know, I love Paul. I mean, Paul, what can you say is just, I've met Paul and and spent about an hour with him and Linda back in 1989, which was incredible. But um, John just, I, I, I was listening to some new age music and they're playing, you know, some of his songs. Um, uh, and, and when you listen, to, I, I mean, when you listen to the melody and, and, and the, the writing of the songs and you always break that down on an acoustic guitar or acoustic piano, it, it's unbelievable. I, I don't know how someone with no musical education um, like John, it, it just, I, I don't know how to describe it. it. It's so incredible. I, you know, I listened to Julia uh, from the White Album and, and, and it's on a new age song that, that's being played on piano. And, and, and you just listen to the to the melody and, and, and the structure of the song and, and you're just blown away. and And of course... Uh, we got in that big argument always in high school. Are you a Lennon man or a McCartney man? I mean, for me, it was never close. It was always John because he was the radical. You know, yeah. he was the Marlon Brando. He was, you know, what are you against? What do you got? You know, and um and and John, I I he he was just so fiercely intellectual and um and and someone that um you know shows all different roads in, in songwriting. And, and of course, Dylan being the great wordsmith and, and, and that sort of thing, uh, the Shakespeare of our times. And I I have to put Bob number one there, but just in terms of songwriting, I I don't think, you know, he's a musician's musician. If you ask Jeff Lynn of yellow, if you ask, I I mean, he is put up there in a separate category. Um, and, and so, uh, uh you know when we lost him it it, it just i uh, you, you really don't know know what to say you know you think about you know what could have been these last 40 years and that sort of thing and and um you know we know that um it it happened that way and and we moved on the only way you can um without him but but he really what was, was had such a big impact on the world? It, it was incredible.
1: So, Dot, we know that Jim has all of this insane memorabilia. I mean, he was sitting in front of that Sergeant Pepper piano. We talked about that. Um, did I hear him break some news in that department?
0: I believe you did because he talked about the fact that he is in talks to um, create a museum that will house his incredible collection. And we're not just talking about music. We're talking about Nixon's resignation letter. I'd love to see that. The on-the-road on the um, manuscript, Jack Kerouac. Um, he talked to us about Jackie Robinson's bat from 1953, the year...
1: Yeah, he said he has a lot of Lincoln stuff, too, which is yeah, crazy. Yeah,
0: the year the Colts moved to Baltimore, 53. Um I interviewed him in his office a few years ago and in a glass case above him was Tiger, Jerry Garcia's famous guitar, which I saw him play many, many times. And I just kept looking at Tiger. I, I couldn't even couldn't even look at Jim. I, our dog is super excited. He's super
1: this. stoked about it. I think he also has Muhammad Ali's shoes. Yeah, Muhammad
0: Ali's shoes from the Ali Frazier, one of the Ali Frazier fights. Um, and i um, you know, and and like every David rock yeah, star, every
1: rock star's yeah. And we had a really cool possession. we had a
0: really cool conversation about him uh, uh, going to Le- or getting personally meeting with John Lennon's first cousin and getting a
1: yeah and arranging a private sale.
0: Yeah, when the when the Colts played the Jaguars in London in 2016, um, we talked about whether he plays this stuff because, as you know, um, there's been some debate in our household when I bought at a. Uh, Warwick Dunn and a former NFL player's charity auction. I bought a black acoustics signed Springsteen guitar. Yeah, and uh, our friend Bob came over and just started playing it, and I was like,
1: "What are you doing?" Husband but, of Lila. Yeah, husband of Lila. <laughs> right.
0: But I was like, "What are you doing?" But then he was like, "Yeah, but the 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 music's you know the instruments are meant to be played," and it was a you know it was a tough debate. And uh, Jim actually conceded that he's. You know, he doesn't do it often, but he play, he does play these things. So yeah. anyway, the great news is that I think within the next couple of years, there's going to be a museum with all this stuff. And um, we'll be going and we'll be we
1: will be attending. We'll
0: be just checking that out. Um, and and I'm super, super pumped about that.
1: Yeah. So we also heard Jim mention that he met up with Paul when <laughs> yeah. he was in Indy. Um, I kind of want to hear about that.
0: I'm glad you asked. Uh, let's go back to 1989. When you met with Paul and Linda McCartney in 1989, tell me about that. That must have just been surreal.
2: Oh, it was so surreal. I, I tell you, I just, um, you know, I was still young enough. I was only 30. And and so I was still kind of, you know, you're kind of caught up in, into that little bit of a younger era in your life still. And we brought two of the three of my daughters the little one we left home, which she's still pissed off about today because um, <laughs> she could have raised too much of a ruckus. So so we're there, and they're so gracious. Um, I mean, they're doing sound check. It's it's um, uh, Valentine's Day, 1989 in, in Indy. And, um, and then, you know, my two daughters start – saying, when are we going to go to McDonald's? And Linda's like, well, you have to be a vegetarian. And uh, it's very <laughs> important, you know, to, don't mention McDonald's. And we're like, you know, we're laughing. And, and you know, and, and Paul and Linda were so gracious. I mean, they spent like an hour. It was, wow. it, it was just, you know, and then, you know, we took a picture. And I remember taking the picture because I had my arm around Paul. And I'm like, my hand is on Paul McCartney's collar right now. It's like, <laughs> this is impossible. You know, I, I, I mean, truly, there's just some iconic people that are still alive like Paul. And, and um, it, it just, it, it was such a thrill. You know, I never thought I'd have a chance um, to do that. And, and my, I, I treasure, I, you know, I've seen him since then. Sometimes um you know, at Mr. Chow's in LA, you know, you know, that place I know out your way. uh, He's been known to be in there, but uh, usually I I try not to disturb him. You know, I, I know um, to be Paul McCartney um, is a heavy weight to bear out in the public, but he, you know, he seems to love it. That's the thing I like about Paul is uh, he, um, you know, he he just really, I think um, loves to, to, you know, talk to people and, and do those sorts of things as much as he can, which I think is always a, a great tribute because I think, he, you know, he understands how much it means to so many people and he understands how blessed he is. And, and to, to show that he, he has patience and he's willing to take time. With his fans to do that so I, I think that's really cool
1: okay i'm officially jealous <laughs> i can live without the the billions of dollars in the memorabilia but now i'm jealous <laughs> dad i could tell that um you were really feeling it when he was talking about how he still feels guilty for not bringing his youngest daughter because <laughs> then you brought me back into the zoom with an awkward reintroduction um
0: I did, but it led to some cool stuff, so let's hear the end of, of our uh, conversation with Jim. Jim, you're the best. Say hi to my daughter, Natalie. Hi. She's Natalie! <laughs> <laughs> Keep awesome. your dad on a straight and narrow. I know. this. This oh, This man let me come to his private rehearsal Super Bowl week for his band, and it was... Stephen Stills, I've told you about this oh, yeah, I know Mike this Mills
2: and uh, Kenny Wade Shepherd and uh, an amazing crew. I know I wanted him to get on the ham and beat three organ, but he kind of <laughs> shied away, Natalie. He said. He didn't want to upstage anyone, so it just. <laughs> I don't. I don't think Stills would have loved that. I don't think Stills would love, was loving me. I made him take
0: a picture with me, but he was, you know, he. I don't. I wasn't feeling the warmth. I think he, even Pete
2: Townsend probably liked me more. <laughs> well, I. I here's a tip for you. I don't think Steven would have noticed. <laughs> 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 he would well, have appreciated I'm, another player. You're the best, man. Thank you so much for taking. All right, nice to. Nice to meet you, Natalie. And, Michael, great to talk to you, brother. You too, man. I can't wait to see you in person when this when this I is I know. Well, you guys stay safe. You too. Yeah. Be, be real safe, man. All right, bro. Thanks, You bro. guys take care. Appreciate Happy holidays, you. man. You too. See best. you in the playoffs.